Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Kairos Partnerships and Christianity Today. Well, good morning, everyone. Today is the beginning of Holy Week. Um, Many of us have celebrated Palm Sunday yesterday, and we are getting ready for the march towards Easter. There's always a ton of pressure that seems to build uh, in in ministers, uh, whether you're lay, whether you're full-time, whether you're part-time. There's a lot going on this week. Uh, From Monday, Thursday services to Good Friday services to some of us celebrate Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday. And there's a ton of pressure for pastors when it comes to Easter. Uh, I think many of us feel that pressure like we have to hit it out of the park, uh, like eternity hangs in the balance. But I just want to remind us as we enter into this week that Jesus died for you, that the tomb is empty so you don't have to be stressed, uh, that you have an opportunity, you have an invitation to preach the risen King. You get a chance to talk about Jesus and the power of the resurrection. My friends, that is an honor, and it is also a beautiful thing, and it is a high task. But I want you to be reminded today that there's no pressure. Preach the cross. Preach Christ crucified and resurrected. And trust the Spirit in His work. Uh, So our guest today, I had the privilege of sitting down with Andrew Peterson, and and I've been a pastor for uh, 20 years now. I just celebrated 20 years this past September. And the soundtrack to my pastoral ministry has, uh, whether he's realized it or not, has been uh, Andrew Peterson, most of his work. And I've noticed that he really has an amazing ability to connect with pastors um, and to write songs that actually inspire hope in my own soul for the resurrection. And so I'm just really excited. I hope this just comes as an encouragement to you all today. Um, I, I had a chance to talk a little bit about his rec- his most recent book called The God of the Garden, um, and I just appreciate the vulnerability and courage that he enters into his own story, talking about his own struggles with uh, depression and mental health, and also the way that he sees God in simple things like trees and mowing yard and bees and things like that. So I hope this week, as, as you march towards Easter, um, that you'd have moments during the time to take naps to rest, to get away with Christ, and to be reminded that he's in control, that he's got this, and that he's asked you to join with him in this beautiful season. So as you head into this week, I just pray that God would meet you in all the places that you have. May you be encouraged as you have an opportunity to talk about the resurrection of our King. is author and singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson has penned some of my favorite books, including The Wing Feather Saga and his newest book, The God of the Garden, Thoughts on Creation, Culture, and the Kingdom. Uh, He's also written some fantastic albums that many of us have listened to and been deeply ministered to uh, by over the years. Um, he, he and his wife live right, right outside of Nashville. They've been married for over 24 years. They have three children. And in his spare time, he likes to keep bees, build dry stack stone walls, gardens, draws, and he sleeps. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrew Peterson. Andrew, really nice to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for making time to hang out with us at the Monday Morning Pastor today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So... The last two years have been quite a wild ride. And uh, how ha- what has your journey looked like over the last two years? Oh, man. Well, it's funny. I, um, I have 
joked about this before, but but before 20, 2020 hit, um, I remember talking to my wife many times about how desperately I wanted a sabbatical. Mm. Um, I just, you know, I've been doing music since I was in my 20s. I'm 47 now and um, and have been hitting it pretty hard and is just trying to find a way to get off the wagon for a minute and uh, or get off the what is the phrase? The carousel, maybe. I like and, that. And it's just when you're when you're uh, you know a self-employed singer, songwriter, author, whatever. It's hard to like do that. You have to plan ahead a lot, whatever. So when 2020 hit in March, and I was suddenly off the road for the foreseeable future, I felt like I was I was forced into a kind of sabbatical, and uh, it was one of my favorite years. And I know that. You know, the pandemic was really hard on a lot of people. So I'm not making light of that, but I'm very thankful that we were in a position to where we could just hunker down and be still after a few decades of of constantly being on the move. Suddenly I was being still and was able to virtually attend my church every Sunday. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I travel on the weekends a lot of times. So going to church is always very precious to me in my own community. And, uh, you know, we live in the countryside. So we have, a property that I love to take care of. So I was able to really pour myself into that for the first time. And, uh, and I don't know, it was just this tremendous, it was, you know, a year long snow day. So, so we got to hang out <laughs> with our kids a lot, you know, and it was just all these surprises mixed in with all of the, the unsettledness, you know? Um, and then, uh, once the pandemic kind of eased up, uh, and like this past year, I did my first Christmas tour, since the pandemic started and and it feels like 2022 has come back with a vengeance and just like everybody's <laughs> kind of popping back like busier than it feels at least like it's busier than it was before covid mm-hmm. and um and i'm mourning a little bit you know mm-hmm. what the 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 sabbath that i experienced the loss of sabbath and so i'm trying to figure it out i think i'm not alone there i think a lot of people are probably feeling the same um, so that's what it's been like for me in the middle of it all. It's just like, oh yeah, we're living through some, some really terrible times, you know? Um, and, uh, my, my longing for the new creation and the fullness of the kingdom of God has, has been peaked like never before. Um, so yeah, that's been the last few years for me. Yeah. One of the things that I've really appreciated about, uh, your music and your writing over the years is you've talked a lot about that longing um, for the redemption and the kingdom of God, where, where does that come from? And, and how do you continue to keep that fire lit in you? Hmm. Um, well, I don't know that I keep it lit. I'm just aware of the fact that it's there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to it. May, I don't know if it's, it's because I just am prone to a little bit of melancholy and, uh, I sense the, uh, unrightness of of the place you know and but i also get these real profound glimpses of of uh of creation at its best you know Mm. um i ever since i was a kid uh i've loved being in the woods i've loved paying attention to creation i always perk up a little bit like when we sing all creatures of our god and king at church you know or when the prayers end up you know being these ancient liturgies that that ask God to to bless the fields and the oceans with fish and the whatever. I don't know. There's this, I, I feel something in me kind of like sits up a little straighter and pays more attention when we get to talking about um, 
the beauty of creation and what God has made and the mess that we've made of the place is, is, is into stark contrast. And so I think that, um, that, that has created like, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've begun to realize the promise in scripture that, um, it's not just that I will have a new body. It's like creation itself is going to be resurrected in some sense, you know? And the thought that we are, we, we, every time we get a glimpse of that piercing vision of the beauty of the, the world now, it, it creates in me this real ache to see it in its final form, you know? And so, uh, I don't know. That's just been the source of a lot of my thinking over the years. I, I don't, um, and so I w- reading Surprised by Joy, the C.S. Lewis book, where he talks about Saint Sukht and you know, this inconsolable longing that we all carry with us, that made so much sense to me when I encountered it. And I, and I realized that's one of the things that I hope my music and writing uh, stirs in people, um, because that longing actually leads you to Jesus. And so yes. uh, it's, 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 a, it's an uh, evangelistic concern in some sense that, that uh, too much uh, contentment with things as the way they are can kind of dull our senses to, to what is to come. And so, so if I can stir things up a little bit, you know, and, and create an ache in someone that, uh, that they can't put their finger on, then I feel like that I say, I, I, I'm hoping the Holy spirit works through, you know, uh, us to, to create that in people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a rambly answer, but that's, that's where I, my, where I suspect it comes from. No, I, I really appreciate that a lot because I think there is something that even in the, the the darkest places of brokenness that I've seen over the last two years, it almost I almost get the sense that as as pastors are are beginning to have the courage to lift their head up again, what they're mm-hmm. noticing is this deep soul ache and this kingdom longing for things to be made right. And in some ways it seems harder than ever, but in other ways it feels like that season when uh, Jesus says, Hey, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Um, mm. And yeah, I think there's, which I think really leads really well into the book that uh, has come out recently, the, the God of the garden. And I love how you seem to, you seem to create this beautiful place and picture uh, of, of how space and uh, place deeply shapes you. Um, mm. And there's just so much about it, but there's a quote that I, I love, and I've actually used it a few times uh, in, in my church and, and as I'm working with other pastors and other leaders, but you talk about your parents when they're looking at, when they're at this place, what they're thinking about buying and you, you're like, you have to buy it. And you have this quote where you say, um, they seem to be, they seem to grow younger as they talked about the place. Mm-hmm. And c- can you unpack that a little bit? Because w- when I read it, it felt like a-, a spell hit my soul or something happened inside of me. And I'm like, man, those are some powerful words. So could you unpack oh, that some for us? Yeah. Well, that that idea, I think, first came from uh, G.K. Chesterton by way of a Rich Mullins song. Um, there's this great Rich Mullins song called Growing Young. And, uh, and it's a song about the prodigal son. And... Uh, which if, if you folks out there have not listened to Rich Mullins, it's not a bad place to start. It's a great song. Um, but the, uh, the chorus of the song says, uh, uh, we are children no more. We have sinned and grown old, uh, but the father still waits and he watches down the road to see the crying boys come running 
to his home, who were growing young. So there's mm-hmm. this sense of coming home to the father as a way of becoming a child again. Um, and uh, and then I found out later that he pulled that from uh, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which, ah. side note, I actually, um, it's a long story, but I actually ended up with Rich Mullins' copy of Orthodoxy uh, that he had given to a friend that became a friend of mine, and I begged him for it. Uh, but he's the he's got that line highlight in the book, so um, which is pretty one of my treasures. Uh, but that idea that um, uh, Chesterton kind of says something like, uh, "We've sinned and grown old, but our Father, who is eternal, is younger than we are." You know. So there's this this beautiful paradox at work there. And I've wondered a lot about in the new creation, how it's going to work when time is no longer our adversary, but time is a friend, you know, like when I plant trees, uh, now here on the property, I like gardening has taught me to think in longer terms. And so nowadays I'll put things in the ground and I'll be like, wow, that's going to be really pretty in 10 years. (laughs) Uh, as as opposed to, you know, this, we want this, everything else in our lives is so quick, but Gardening teaches you to kind of see things through this long view. And I think, wow, what an amazing thing it's going to be in the new creation when we have resurrected and undying bodies to plant a tree and think, wow, I can't wait to see that tree in 600 years. You know, so there's this this amazing, I don't know, it it stirs in me this ache. You know, the fact that we, C.S. Lewis pointed this out. I just read this in reflected, Reflections on the Psalms, I think, where he talks about how uh, one of the evidences that we were meant for eternity is that we're we have this uncomfortable relationship to time. That uh, we, you know, when parent when grown ups see a kid for the first time in a year, we always are astonished that they've grown. We're like, "Wow, you've grown so much! Mm-hmm. Why are we surprised? Mm-hmm. Why do we feel sad when people die, unless we weren't meant to die?" You know. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like when I imagine my parents in resurrected bodies a million years from now still taking care of them and uh it's uh i can't wait to know because you know somewhere inside my dad is the 10 year old version of him you know yeah. and uh and and i think i'll get to know my hunch is that i'll get to know that version of my dad too mixed in with everything else that's beautiful it, it's interesting because i i really appreciate how um you seem to have a lot of grace for yourself in the book as, as you talk about uh, almost integrating, um, you know, the, the kid from the cornfield and the kid in the, in the, in the Florida Everglades. Um, and my sense is that, that that is, that's a really hard journey of, of, of allowing mm-hmm. both of those young ones to stay present and to, to, to notice the ache and what's happening in there. What would you, and this really, I think connects with the time that, I think a lot of pastors and leaders and people in general find themselves in is we've had a lot of time in our hands. And so mm. would you have any advice for, for pastors who find themselves in a very similar space where they're beginning to see the, the, the formation and maybe even the deformation of their childhood? Hmm. Be brave. That's, that's my thing. Um, it's so easy to avoid going back, you know, and, and, and uh rooting around in the cellar you know it's 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 a scary thing to do um some of us may need the help of a good counselor to do it but like going back and making some kind of sense of of our childhood 
whatever trauma we may have experienced, whatever grief we've experienced is a, is a good and healthy way to, to, um, recapture a little bit of what was lost. I think, um, it's also potentially really scary. You know, I, I, uh, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about going back to my hometown in Illinois and how I have this weird sense sometimes that something happened to me that I can't remember, you know, Hmm. like this, this nagging question that like, why am I so screwed up? Why am I so prone to these certain kinds of sins? Maybe something happened to me that triggered it. And I just don't remember what it is. And, uh, I went back to this house that was across the street from the parsonage where I grew up. And, uh, and I was full of dread. I remember walking through the backyard of this, old abandoned house thinking did some creepy guy live here you know what 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 was it and it turns out i call i texted my parents and it turns out the guy was a a gardener and he actually grew peonies and and specialized tulips like he he was a hybrid guy and so she was like oh yeah we used to walk over there with you in the spring and it was just beautiful and then i realized that this thing that had filled me with so much dread was part of the reason that i love gardening now you know and so being brave enough to go back and dig up bones uh, can mean that you also dig up treasure, you know? Um, and, uh, and sometimes the bones can, can heal you too. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what you were really asking, but I know that, that uh, one of the best things that I ever heard from my counselor, the first time I ever had was brave enough to go sit down with a Christian counselor and kind of begin the process of learning. Uh, I told him some bits of my childhood. And he pushed back with, he said, I've never met anyone who could correctly interpret their own childhoods. Um, Whoa. We need, we need somebody's help. We, and I realized that I had, I'm a storyteller. Most pastors are also storytellers, um, like it or not. And it's really easy for us to construct our own version of what happened when we were kids or uh, certain stages of our lives. But without the help of someone else to walk us through those memories, like I think uh, it's possible to reframe them and see that God was more at work than you even thought he was. Yeah. There is something about having an integrated understanding of who we were and how we grew up and, and how that has shaped us in really great ways and also really tough ways. Yeah. And, and thanks again for even mentioning the, the brave, being brave and the beauty of entering into relationship with, with counseling. I think it's been really encouraging to hear other pastors who have begun to take steps towards uh, emotional wholeness uh, and digging into that. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in an age where, where counseling was kind of had a stigmatism to it. Like, yeah. oh, if you're a Christian, you don't need to do that. Like that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. new agey or that's this or that or the other thing. Um, and it's just so beautiful to hear people and pastors and leaders who are saying, no, it's, man, I need help. I can't. And I love that yeah. quote. You cannot interpret that on your own. I've, yeah, that's truth um yeah kind of moving it a little bit but it seems like in your childhood there also grew you know this love for gardening but even this this space for creativity and so can you tell us a bit about just the work of creativity thinking about pastors or songwriters or poets or or however but how do you see creativity um just working and growing within the church yeah. Um, well, I will say one, one of the great blessings in my life is that I, I'm a pastor's kid, uh, and my dad loved books. And uh, he read a lot of theology, but he also had Mark Twain on the shelf and 
Dickens and Lord of the Rings and Narnia. So it was, I, I'm very thankful to have grown up with like this really integrated view of what uh, stories were for, you know? Um, and, uh, and I also grew up in the South, which is like, you know, if you want to grow up and learn how to tell stories, growing up in the South is not a bad place to grow up. Every, there are yarns everywhere, you know? And, uh, and so I'm very thankful for that. So I had that modeled for me, this idea that like, it's not weird to be a pastor who also reads fiction, you know? Uh, uh, and I am surprised sometimes when I meet folks who have no use for fiction or the arts, you know, and it's made me wonder sometimes about why, what, what attracts me to guys like C.S. Lewis or Walter Wongren Jr. or Eugene Peterson to some extent, or, ah, Madeline Langle. There are these people who, who, um, there's an author named Roger Lloyd who called them borderland writers. There are people who kind of like straddled the line between theology and literature C.S. Lewis was one of these borderland people. I think, uh, uh, yeah, the um, they've been called border stalkers um, before by Makoto Fujimura. And I love that idea. There's like the, these theologians that also like dip their feet in the, the land of fairy and story, and they come back with something that, that we need. And, uh, and I'm so drawn to those writers. And I think that those writers have such a staying a lasting power um, because they didn't just write theology. They were also students of the arts and storytelling and poetry um, and visual art. If you, uh, Tolkien was that way. Um, uh, and I think that I would probably, uh, Oh, how do I say this? Uh, I would, I w I'm not sure how I would handle sitting under a pastor who never read stories. <laughs> <laughs> Some mm. guy who was only interested in systematic theology and never married that to story. It's kind of, it's like incarnation, you know? And so mm. anyway, I just think that it's, it's a, it's a really helpful thing. Like, um, that, that becoming a student of, of the arts and storytelling is, is only going to enhance your theology. It's going to make it rounder and it's a way of putting hands and feet on what it is that you believe. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think the more, uh, when I was a kid, I just assumed that there, there was no room for a Dragonlance novel, comic book, Batman reading, skateboarding, Leonard Skinner, Tom Petty guitar playing kid would ever have a seat at the table in the church because everything about the church was uh, seemed antithetical to the things that I really loved. Um, and I've grown up to realize, oh man, the Lord had in store for me like the most wonderful. Uh, uh, place and, and, and way to serve his kingdom. And all of those things that I loved ended up finding their best expression within the confines of the church and the kingdom. Right. And so for, uh, for, for pastors to keep their eyes peeled for the people at the fringes who, who assume incorrectly that there's no place for them and they're gifting, uh, rope them in, find a way, because there is a, there is a, if, if it's a gift, it means it's a gift from the Lord and that mm -hmm. there's a way for it to find its expression in the church. Um, yeah. it's not always easy, but one of my favorite anecdotes about that was my son, Aiden, who's a visual artist. He's an amazing visual professional visual artist. And, uh, when he was 16 years old, uh, our pastor commissioned him to paint the Trinity, <laughs> which I think is Whoa. amazing. 
I'm like, how do you paint the Trinity when you're 16 years old or ever, you know? And so Aiden agreed and went on this long, deep dive online into like, how has the Trinity been represented visually over the centuries, you know? And he ended up composing this beautiful painting that our pastor framed and put on an easel next to the pulpit when he preached on Trinity Sunday and referenced my son's painting. And I was just like sitting in the back crying because uh, I just thought what a difference that would have made to me as a kid uh, to have set, to have had the pastor of the church see me and say, hey, we, we need your voice. You can actually help us to understand the heart of God a little better with your gifting and uh, mm-hmm. and to invite them into that. So anyway, it's a beautiful example to me of what the, what what is possible. That's that is such an awesome story. I I think there's something about that, even just the encouragement for pastors, even if you don't know where they fit, just p- rope them in, figure out something. I mean, there there is always something to to bring a creative into, or at least they'll help figure something out that's kind of part of what they do. Um, yeah. So it, I, I gosh, I I wish I had like four hours because there's just so many other questions that seem to be popping up. But I think one of the big questions for me is. How would you want to encourage pastors today? We've been through a lot of different things. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened over the two years. What would you say would be, um, yeah, just your your words of encouragement uh, coming out or kind of in a in a pause of the pandemic? I don't know if we're in it or out it or what's going on, but how would you want to encourage yeah. pastors this morning? Oh man, uh, two things. I would say uh, make sure that you're in regular contact with a band of fellow pastors. Mm. Um, make sure that you've got uh, people like one, one of the most significant things, uh, surprises for me that, that has been very significant has been, uh, dude breakfast, which there's a group of us that have breakfast at Waffle House every Wednesday. And, um, for like the last 12 years or so. Um, and it's not, you know, we don't, like sit around and like get sometimes it does get spiritual sometimes we're just talking about movies you know um but that friendship has become a pretty wonderful anchor for me and uh a way to unload and a lot of those guys are musicians or writers and so there's a lot of uh resonance as far as the the struggles that we carry excuse me um and then the other thing i would say is just tell the truth man just uh it's okay to to confess to your people that that uh you don't know what the answers are um what like uh have you read frederick beekner before yes uh yeah so uh if you're listening it's spelled b-u-e-c-h-n-e-r and frederick beekner and he uh you know i don't agree with everything he says but man he has such a gift for um honesty and uh and the book telling the secrets is written specifically for pastors and it's it's this wonderful exhortation to be vulnerable and uh and it helped me to kind of like get to the bottom of what I wanted to do as a singer songwriter uh like uh I just have noticed over the years that it's the songs that I was the most embarrassed to write uh hmm. the the little chapters of my life that I thought this is getting too personal this is this is a little too much um that have tended to re- to to be the most helpful um, and it's humbling. It's like, I don't really enjoy 
telling people what a screw up I am. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would, I wish that I was wiser than I am. Um, but, but getting on stage and, and leveling the playing field a little bit and confessing, talking about my own sin and my own fear, uh, within the confines of the mighty grace of God, uh, I, I think is so powerful. And it, it's something that like, I, I did not often hear as a, as a young man coming from the pulpit. Uh, I didn't hear a whole lot of talk about the pastor's own sin. It's like my dear friend, Thomas McKenzie, uh, who just died in a, uh, about six months ago. He was my pastor here in town. Uh, he died in a car accident. And, um, I remember it, it caught me off guard when the first time I heard him from the pulpit talk about his therapist. <laughs> I was like, wait, you're a pastor and you have a therapist? And uh, he was very matter of fact about the fact that, yeah, oh, yeah, I go see people because I need help. Uh, I, I can't make sense of this. And he was he was always very uh, himself when he was preaching. Like, I never got the sense that he was one person at dude breakfast and he was another when he was when he was preaching. Um, warts and all like, um, and it just makes Jesus more beautiful. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's one thing I would really urge pastors is just don't be afraid, uh, be, be brave enough to just be honest. And, uh, and you'll find such that, that one, one last anecdote, if you don't mind, I, like I was playing a show, this is like 10 years ago. Um, and I got there and it was at a hotel, which was weird. And it was like a ballroom kind of situation. It was like some kind of prom thing. And I was like, what have we agreed to here? What are we doing? And we walked, <laughs> me and my buddy Ben, and, and we set up and there were all these you know, fancy tables with flowers on them and stuff, which is very unusual for me. And in walks the, the audience and it was, everybody was dressed to the nines in prom dresses, but it was a very diverse crowd. It was like, uh, uh, we, we were, we were, you know, the white guy was in the minority there and there were, it was this really interesting crowd, like very different from what I'm used to. And I, we did the show or we started the show. I was like, these guys are going to hate this music. Like they don't know who I am, you know, and, uh, and this is going to be miserable, but they knew every word. And it was one of the most effusive and kind audiences I've ever played for. And I was blown away by it. And we go backstage and the pastor of the church was like, I bet you're wondering what's going on here. And I was like, yes, what is happening? What was this? Show? And, uh, he was like, well, most of the people in the audience were uh, former gang members or had just gotten out of prison. Or uh, he, he told me about one woman who was sitting on the front row who, who until about a year ago had been a prostitute. And she had sat there crying during the whole show. I was so moved by this, by this thing. And, and I was like, what happened? How did you do this? You know? And the pastor said that he was like, well, I was, I was sexually abused when I was a kid. And uh, I carried around the shame and the guilt of that for years of my life, did all this work, all this counseling, and then I began to feel the Holy Spirit nudging me to bring it to the pulpit. And I talked to my wife about it. I talked to my elders about it. And they all said, hey, if the whole, we, we agree, it, you, you should talk about it. And so he began to confess his, the mess that he was from, from the pulpit. And he said a lot of people got upset about it. And some families left the church. Um, but eventually, he said in his little town in Missouri, his church became known as the church that you went, you could go to if you were an alcoholic or a drug addict or if you were a person who struggled with sexual sin. And he said the pews just filled up. I, I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Filled up with, with people who knew they didn't have it together. And I just think that's beautiful. I think what, a, what an amazing model 
for for what can happen. Um, it, there's also a way for that to to break bad and not not go so well, right? So I think the fact that he felt led by the spirit that he talked yeah. to his wife that talked to his elders about it, I think that's all a good model too. Um, but man, it was so profoundly moving to me, and it just underscored the Beekner principle that like uh, vulnerability is one of our great weapons against the enemy. Amen. Oh, man. I, I think we need to have you back on again. Just say, can you just tell us stories for about 15, 20 minutes, an hour or two days? Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. Andrew, could you leave us and leave pastors with the benediction? Yeah, man. Can I, can I read you something? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm a big Wendell Berry fan, and I have one of his poems on the framed on the wall next to me, and I'll read that. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. And uh, one of the things that I encourage people to do because it's been such a blessing to me is like, if you are the kind of person who spends a lot of time looking at a screen or is indoors a lot, find a practice in your life that gets you outside. Uh, Find a way to keep in close contact with the given world, this world that God so loves and made for us, right? Um, And Wendell Berry pulls me outdoors a lot. And uh, so this, especially in light of what's going on in Ukraine right now and, uh, covid and america (laughs) there's so much that can go wrong that it can be easy to forget that um the the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof um one of my favorite uh things that happened at the beginning of march 2020 i heard somebody say that one of the the biggest google searches was why are the birds so loud that during lockdown People thought it was the, like the world got so quiet that people thought that the birds had for some reason gotten louder, <laughs> which is still so funny to me. Uh, but the birds weren't louder. It was just that we were able to hear them better. Right. And so uh, I think that's part of what this poem uh, can mean. So the piece of wild things this is my benediction. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty of water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So, may you rest in the grace of the world, uh, the Uh, the source of which is God himself, and uh, find some hint of the freedom that uh, is coming to us in Christ. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of MMP. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you signed up for the Kairos Partnership's free weekly newsletter called Five Things in Five Minutes? It's free and it's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday morning. It provides valuable thoughts, links, questions, and quotes to equip you for the ministry and leadership journey. And the entire thing can be read in five minutes or less. To sign up, log on to kairospartnerships.org slash 5T5M. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.